0: Hi friends, welcome to the Friends of France Podcast. In this safe space, we are favored in each episode with the presence of an expert guest from different fields and specialties as we learn about their life journeys, their successes, possible regrets, and realizations, their work, why they do what they do, and even their life outside of work. In here, we tear down common myths and misinformation with up-to-date, evidence-based science and data simplified for anyone to digest. We don't shy away from topics that can sometimes be polarizing or taboo. We normalize the humanization of healthcare and its workers and re-promote the importance of self-care and safeguarding your mental health. Please keep in mind that the conversations in this podcast are for educational and informational purposes only. They are not implied or intended to be a substitute for professional medical diagnosis, advice, or treatment. Please always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare providers regarding a medical condition. Are you ready? Let's go!
1: Hi, Dr. Serena! Hello! It's I so checked my calendar and you. our live stream was back in July 14th of last year. Can you believe over one year has passed already? Wow. I can't believe it too. No, I know. I Time is flying by so it. quickly. And I think in that one year, so many things have changed. So many things has happened in the world already, right?
2: Yeah. It's true. It's true. So many things. So many things. And I'm so glad you're like you're doing so great though. I'm loving all your content and your journey and Uh, thank you so
1: much, Doc. Thank you for the support always. And thank you for being here tonight. Another summer night with you through IG Live. We have so many important things to talk (laughs) about. I know you reached out to me I think a few months ago regarding this topic and Now the time has finally come. It's not too much in the bright and light news, but I believe that there's hope at the end of the talk that we'll talk about. But before all of that, if you could just first please introduce yourself to everybody watching today. So my
2: name is Serena Chen, and I'm so happy to be here. I'm a reproductive endocrinologist and infertility specialist in New Jersey. I'm the director of reproductive medicine at IRMS, the Institute for Reproductive Medicine Science and division director at Cooperman Barnabas Medical Center and clinical associate professor at Rutgers Medical School. Yeah. So, <laughs> I stayed
1: with I can tell dog, I can <laughs> tell. But so many accomplishments and so much expertise and training that you have under your belt. And this is why When we're talking about this topic, I I really couldn't think of anyone else to talk to, but you, especially that you're so passionate about this topic. And so I guess you can hit right into it. So for our first episode a year ago, we were talking mostly about the world of OBGYN, right? The world of fertility and infertility. And we talked about so many procedures. We talked about how you help build families, right? From different parts of the world as well. Mm -hmm. People come to see you. And I think what we're going to do tonight is we're going to take a portion of of that. That's super, super important, especially given... The news that we've been getting the past few months, so specifically we're talking about the Dobbs case, yeah. right? That happened in June twenty fourth of this year. So as a context, the nineteen seventy three Roe versus Wade was a Supreme Court ruling that basically gave people the right and the access and the privacy to abortion rights, right? But other than that, also the privacy to it, and also I guess it gave like an extending protection to the reproductive care in general as well, right? But as sad yes. as it's sad, at and a federal, at yes, federal, yes, at a at federal, a federal level. Exactly. And, yeah. But sadly, in June 24th of this year, this was overruled by the Dawes versus Jackson's Women's Health Organization ruling. And, uh, you know, obviously the first thing that comes to mind of everybody is the regulations of accessing the right and the privacy to abortion and statewide, right? And I think, Rightfully So all the talks mm-hmm. have been about bodily autonomy and abortion rights, abortion care, abortion access. But what we're going to talk about is actually something outside of that is something that many people don't think about when it comes to the overturning of pro versus Wade and the ruling in the Dobbs case is about fertility medicine and the access to it and the implications of the dog's case when it comes to this and which is your bread and butter being a fertility physician. If you could just give us an intro first of how all of this ties together into what you do as a fertility medicine physician.
2: So I've been getting this question from people all over the country and all over the world. So I think it's it's a great question. What does the overturning of Roe v. Wade has to do with in vitro fertilization because obviously when people think about abortion, they think about elective termination of an unwanted pregnancy. And yet, of course, our patients want their pregnancy so much. It's uh, the struggle with fertility. We build families. We help people preserve their fertility. I mean, we're literally helping people to conceive. But part of the issue is that Number one, even though we do IVF and we make embryos, the ultimate goal, of course, is to have a baby, to have a healthy baby. And what people don't realize is that the political and religious ideas that underlie a lot of this move towards legislating abortion are about this concept of regulating selective termination of pregnancy, but the downstream effect is that we're actually impacting all medical care Mm -hmm. for pregnant people and of course i have to take care of pregnant people to get them to the point where they can deliver so these laws what they do is they take these non-medical ideas and they're legislating them so one of the non-medical ideas is that life begins at conception which i think is you know kind of based in a lot of western religions and the idea that life begins at conception you then in order to legislate that idea they come up with this idea called personhood which means that if life begins at conception let's give the legal status of a person to the conception to the embryo, or to the fetus and when you put that into legislation it creates all kinds of chaos In medicine, because of course, we have so many situations where the embryo or the pregnancy or the fetus is not viable and is actually causing harm or discomfort or even threatening the mother's life. And of course, then we have to remove the pregnancy tissue, and that is a medical procedure called different types of abortion. So we have elective termination of a viable pregnancy, but then we have things like Missed abortion, which just means like the baby stopped growing. Incomplete abortion, which can be really dangerous, where the pregnancy tissue is kind of half out and half in. The pregnancy is not viable and the woman is having significant bleeding. You can have deadly bleeding from this. Septic abortion, where you actually have a pregnancy, it's not viable, but you're infected. And you have to get rid of the pregnancy tissue to cure the mother of infection and ultimately to save her life. So it confuses things. And of course, as an IVF doctor, I help people make a lot, a lot of embryos. And in general, we know that most embryos are actually can't make a baby. They're just not physically or biologically capable of making a baby and a huge part of the success rate of IVF in the United States today is the fact that we can look at a lot, a lot of embryos and we Mm -hmm. have testing and techniques to be able to say this embryo has a much higher chance of making a baby, and this embryo really doesn't have a chance of making a baby. So that's part of what we do. That's yeah. how that's how we get to the baby, is sorting through embryos. And yet, because the way the legislation is written, I don't think it was meant to shut down IVF, but it's written in this very legal way that doesn't recognize medical technology so that the lawyers are really confused and then they're telling the doctors, you have to be careful because this is what the legislation says. And we're seeing different things. Like when you get rid of the federal protections for abortion, we then had... 13 states that where they had these laws banning abortion that automatically took place once Roe v. Wade was overturned. And because of the removal of this federal legislation, now every single state is passing different legislation and they all define things differently. And the hard thing is, is that if IVF is not specifically protected, it's not specifically protected. So right now, it's not illegal. Um, We don't want people to panic we just want
3: people to be aware
2: right it's not illegal Mm -hmm. but let's say you know you take oklahoma so in oklahoma they ban abortion or termination of pregnancy at the moment of conception but they have one line in there that says the doctor is not going to be criminally liable only going to be criminally liable for terminating a pregnancy inside the uterus. So a lot of the lawyers at these medical centers have said, well, even though it doesn't say IVF is protected, we feel like that kind of protects IVF. But the problem is a lot of these laws are vigilante laws, like that's a new strategy. So a private citizen, if they feel like you're breaking the law, they can report you to the government. A lot of these laws supposedly give the vigilante $10,000 reward for reporting that person. And so a lot of these questions and unclear statements in the laws could, might just end up yeah. being
1: fought in
3: court. That's
2: the yeah. hard
1: part. No, I'm talking no too I, much, I
3: love Kristen. it,
1: Dr. Cena Dr. Cena. Yeah, I mean, you know, <laughs> It's it's kind of heartbreaking and also alarming to hear that from one ruling, right? It's like it's like a cascade of so many things going on. Like yes, it's very specific about abortion and stuff like that, but it's also very vague when it comes to this. And there's like it's a gray area when it comes to this. And I think it's very meshed with a lot of political and many religious underpinnings under all of this. Like like you said, right? And I think it, that's when it's so scary yeah. and also makes you dumbfounded as to why people who have no expertise within not only medicine in general, but also within reproductive medicine and in this whole field of fertility, infertility, or or access to reproductive care are the ones making legal decisions over people's bodies when they have really no education or training to what's going on. But the hindsight as well, the general public also may not have you know, the education, the training to understand all these terms. So from everything that you said, I think let's backtrack a little bit and talk about, you know, we were talking about IVF, but what is the use of, and I, I know we talked about this in our previous live stream, and if you haven't watched yet, please watch it. Yep. we go going yep. to deep deep dive on everything reproductive medicine. <laughs> but for those who are not aware, before we really jump into the implications of overturning programs versus with IVF is what is IVF? And How pressing uh, a problem is infertility in the United States specifically, since we're talking about the Supreme Court?
3: Oh, those are,
2: (laughs) you always ask the best questions, Christian. So IVF stands for in vitro fertilization, which just means fertilization outside the body. So it is an extremely (laughs) successful technology that allows reproductive endocrinologists today to basically be able to help almost anybody get pregnant. We really have addressed a lot of infertility we obviously have still have an issue because you know insurance coverage in the united states is not so great and now we have this legislation that's gonna make it more difficult to
3: access ivf
2: but ivf basically we stimulate the ovaries with uh hormones that your body makes Mm -hmm. but since we give you a little extra instead of making one egg each month you're gonna make a few eggs and then we fertilize the eggs put it together with the sperm And then we look at the embryos and evaluate them very carefully, sometimes do genetic testing on them and try to put in one embryo at a time that's been selected from a bunch to have the highest chance of success in order to help people conceive. And infertility is a huge issue. So about one in eight couples suffers from medical infertility. When you look at professional women, specifically female physicians, the prevalence of trouble conceiving is actually twice that one in four super high. If you have medical issues like cancer or anything like that, risk for infertility is much higher. And then of course, there's a lot of people who really just don't necessarily have a medical issue, but need help conceiving like single people and the LGBTQ community. So a lot of people need our services. And the crazy thing is, even though most people in the United States don't have really good fertility coverage for IVF, unlike the rest (laughs) of the developed world, still 2% of babies in the United States are conceived through IVF. It's a huge number.
3: I think that's
1: what's one of the alarming things about it, is this advancement of medical technology and science that has given so many couples and so many people hope into building the families and the realities that they want, right, is possibly in this fire based on the implications of Supreme Court ruling that, again, that we said, are usually made by those who have no expertise and training in this matters, in this subject matters. And I think I wanted to delve more into that, to what you were saying about the procedure of IVF specifically, where you're saying, you know, we have a lot of these eggs and then we pick the one that we think will be most viable, right? And will be most successful in producing yeah. a pregnancy. Now, I guess this is where the murky waters come in. Also, because from what I know, IVF was made even before was suede. Or it was after. That's the
2: thing. The first IVF baby in the uh, whole world was after. 1978, and the first IVF mm, baby in the United States it was 1980.
1: So, so it is after, Mercury waters because there was no legislation yeah. before that in regards to this technology, right? And so then it brings the questions up. And again, talking about IVF is picking that one egg that is the most viable that we think it will produce the pregnancy. Now, what happens to? Procedure wise, what happens to the rest of the eggs? A lot
2: of times, there we yeah. we have to dis, you yeah. know we discard them. So yeah. because if they're they are not viable and they cannot make a baby, then they are discarded. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. happens yeah. in mother nature too. Yeah. You know, exactly. we have mm-hmm. we have millions of eggs mm-hmm. as a fetus, four hundred thousand mm-hmm. eggs at the start of puberty, and most of those eggs do not become a baby. And then there's even it's even yeah. less efficient because yeah. yeah. they're making billions of sperm over their lifetime and the, yeah. and you know the vast majority yeah. are not ending up in a baby yeah. and that's kind of mother nature mm-hmm. like one in four pregnancies yeah. ends in a miscarriage yeah. because it's just not viable so there's a lot of screening out with mother nature and what's interesting is you know looking mm-hmm. at what happened in Italy because around the beginning of the 2000s in Italy a lot of this similar type of legislation was being passed around IVF because you know, Italy is a Catholic country. They were not comfortable with this technology. And so they tried to legislate it. So it Mm
3: -hmm. was
2: in line with the church and tried to say, well, every Mm -hmm. single embryo you make has to be put in the woman. And now almost 20 years later they have removed even though the country is still very Catholic and still very religious They've actually removed a lot of that legislation because they felt that it caused mm-hmm. so much suffering and harm and costs because if you have to transfer every embryo you make, well, sometimes you're putting in more than one embryo. And then if you end up with multiples, much higher rates for maternal and mm-hmm. fetal death and, you know, complications and you are Dramatically lowering the chance for pregnancy because you're not being as efficient. You're dramatically raising costs. So a lot of people then can't access the treatment and you're dramatically raising the risk for miscarriage because you're putting in a, a lot of abnormal embryos. And so the Italians, even though they are a very religious country, you know, they backed off on this legislation because they felt it was harmful.
0: As someone with acne and blemish-prone skin, facial scarring and hyperpigmentation have always been my issues since high school. Acne has robbed me of my self-confidence throughout my schooling years, and having its visible reminders in my face to this day continues to do so. But I have found silver linings of hope having used Rescue MD's DNA Repair Complex Serum, plastic surgeon developed, RescueMD seeks to harness the powers of science and two decades of patient experience in providing a multi-benefit skin renewal serum that provides real results and improves the appearance of visible skin damage. Beyond my personal skin concerns, the serum also seeks to adjust a breadth of damage from varying external stressors, including hypertrophic and surgery scars, burns and chemical burns, cuts, scrapes, and bug bites. All of these are targeted by supporting the skin's natural healing process through its infusion with RuskyMD's patented LabCol, a proprietary anti-inflammatory skincare technology that targets skin damage at the DNA level. The serum also contains a hand-selected blend of other ingredients, such as peptides to help strengthen the skin, botanicals like Rosehip to soothe, and moisturizing agents such as dimethicone and allantoin that helps to speed up skin recovery. The DNA Repair Complex Serum has been my daily friend, and every day, I feel like I can take back what my scars have stolen from me. Definitely, each skin is different and results are not guaranteed, but I hope that you can find your silver lining too. In partnership with RescueMD, you can get 15% off your order on rescuemd.com with the code FOF15. The serum is also now available on Bloomingdales.com. Discover what healthy skin healing means with RescueMD. Growing up with my mom, who has been a nurse for the past 30 years, I would always take an adventure in her bookshelf, filled with nursing and medical textbooks, encyclopedias, and various human anatomy posters. I still remember perusing through an encyclopedia as a six-year-old, trying to look for pictures of eyes and muscles, attempting to pronounce their lengthy names, since I could not really understand the explanations about the different body parts. Despite the myriad of children's books with topics ranging from magical universities to talking animals and the different types of frogs, there weren't really any books in the workings of the human body when I was a child, for children. Written by physicians Dr. Betty and Dr. Brandon, the Medical School for Kids book series now provides a charming, easy-to-understand introduction to the wonders of the medical field. These books feature beautiful illustrations and simple explanations, teaching children and adults alike about the anatomy, physiology, and diseases of the body. From distinguishing a normal mole from melanoma to discovering the importance of eating healthy food for heart health, to so knowing the vital signs that are monitored in the operating room, people of all ages can truly learn something new through these books as they are designed to teach real medical concepts to readers of all ages in ways that anyone can understand. Take an educational adventure into the intricacies of every organ system of the human body. Paperback copies of the books are available for purchase on Amazon.com and eligible for two-day Prime delivery. Kindle versions of the books are also available on Amazon and free with Kindle Unlimited. You can also visit the website md4kids.org for more information. Get ready for an adventure on the medical school bus.
1: Like you said, in mother nature, and I guess also in the nature of the procedures of IVF, is you know to be more efficient and to be, I guess, also for the safety of the patient as well. Is you know picking that one egg yeah. and then the rest are discarded. And I guess also what happens when a family is completed, when IVF is successful, the rest of the eggs are also discarded as well, right? Or donated. Discarded
2: or donated to another couple Mm -hmm. or donated to research. And we are worried because there are a mm -hmm. lot of frozen embryos out there. And if they have the status of, personhood yeah. that could be a real cost and a burden to not only those mm-hmm. families but also to the healthcare system so it is going yeah. to be a tough situation when we're in a country that already has difficulty mm-hmm. with getting access to fertility treatment and we're seeing young doctors we mm-hmm. train like less than 50 specialists a year and mm-hmm. there's already a shortage and a lot of these young doctors that are coming out of training are saying, you know, I don't feel comfortable yeah. going to Texas or Oklahoma or Louisiana because my ability to take care of patients, may you know, some of the things that yeah. Uh, Definitely.
1: Yeah, and I guess that's where the fear comes in. Like you said, August, when it comes to the personhood laws, right? Is defining personhood or life or becoming human as the time of conception. And it just makes me think of, oh my gosh, what are the implications of these and all of those discarded eggs from IVF or those donated to research? I know there was one article that I read recently regarding does personhood loss cover even the babies that we have in petri dishes, you know, the eggs in the petri dishes, those in the laboratory? And I want to know what's your take on all of that?
2: So it's yeah. very, very confusing and it can create tons of issues. Like right now in South Carolina, they are mm-hmm. wrestling with this situation. And one of these laws, I don't know all the details, but went to court and it was banned. But they're still trying to pass legislation that would be very, very strict anti-abortion. And what's interesting is a group of embryologists did lobby for some protections of the embryos in the lab. So having embryos in the lab theoretically should not be illegal. But if taking care, giving normal medical care to pregnant people is illegal, it's still so disruptive to the field of IVF, because ultimately, we don't want those embryos just sitting in a lab. Ultimately, we're there to help people have babies. So this is part of the tough part of, of these laws. I mean, somebody told me that, you know, unfortunately, because the topic of abortion is such a really difficult topic that raises... People's emotions and fears and anger, and actually even incites violence because of the religious and the political overtones. You know, like what if we looked at this and we just got rid of that triggering word abortion and we talked about like another medical procedure that we do all the time, let's say, yeah, a- appendectomy for appendicitis. So if we said, well, now a felony to take out somebody's appendix, unless they are about to die, I think everybody would see that that really doesn't make any sense. I mean, you know this because you're a healthcare professional. Our job is not just to pull people back from the brink of death. Our job is to keep people healthy and well and lower risks. And we know that what we're taught in medical school and nursing school is you want to take that appendix out before it bursts. And you want to take out a few normal appendixes because it's not easy to diagnose appendicitis. And if you're taking out some normal appendixes, you know you're getting all the bad ones and you're saving lives. But if you wait until the appendix bursts, And then the patient's heart rate goes up and their blood pressure goes down. They go to the unit and they're starting to show multi-organ failure. And then you take them to the OR.
3: (laughs) That is not good
2: medical care, right? And yet that is what a lot of the legal advice has been to many doctors (laughs) around the country about (laughs) normal pregnancy care. Wait till the person with a tubal pregnancy, wait till it's obvious, like you could prove it in court that if you didn't take her to the Mm -hmm. OR, she was going to die. And I think both of us know from personal experience that young, healthy women with a tubal pregnancy, you want to take them to the OR when... They're looking good because once they look (laughs) bad, you might not be able to save them. I like the appendectomy analogy. I hope other people use that because when you go to medical school, you know that if you waited that long, you're increasing (laughs) costs and morbidity and mortality and long-term complications. Our job is not just to rescue people from the brink of death. We're, you know, we're trying to heal and help people and live, help them live healthy lives. So,
1: yeah, I can imagine. And I guess I wanted to ask you as the physician who, you know, makes the executive decisions about all of this, who are managing, again, the care, the quality of care, not just the brink of death, but, you know, more of like also a lot of preventative treatment, preventative modalities is. Absolutely. When we're talking about all this personhood loss and the implications of the Dobbs case, how do you think it will affect your profession as a fertility physician? And how much fear or, you know, like worry does it give you? And I guess you can tie this on to why we needed doctors for fertility.
2: Yeah, I will tell you, Christian, even in the state of New Jersey, where we've worked really hard to have laws to help everybody that needs IVF access IVF, and we're one of the most covered states in the union, I still feel like at least half the patients I see don't have adequate access in terms of insurance coverage for IVF. And those are only the patients I'm seeing. I'm sure there's a lot of people who never come into my office because they're afraid that they won't be covered and most of the country really people who have infertility cannot get the care they need for this really devastating disease because having a family and reproducing is one of the primary goals of you know so many blood that i mean you know if we don't reproduce as a human race like you know right we're going to be extinct so it's it's a huge driving force for so many people And yet the struggle for infertility is not really recognized by insurers in this country. And so millions and millions of people are suffering right now. And now we are seeing that people are worried about doing IVF, worried about conceiving, worried about the embryos they've already made. We are seeing people move their embryos, people who can afford to do that like I said, we have a doctor shortage, we have a nursing shortage, we have an embryology shortage. Mm -hmm. So those people are in great demand. And for, you know, say places in these difficult states where there's a lot of legislation that raises concerns about IVF, it's going to be even harder for them to staff their programs and to take care of their patients. We are seeing that we are making a bad
1: situation much, much worse. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I I can't imagine the amount of I guess not obviously it takes on the patients as well and I guess also in very restrictive states those who are maybe going through infertility or are wanting to do IVF and do reside in those restrictive states I can't imagine the emotional toll the mental toll that it has on them right of like I don't want to have a family in the future but yes. this are- might be something that you know is at the brink of but we need to be alert of because of the implications of the dog's case. But I also can't imagine the tall on you as the physician, right? I guess medicine and health Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, to be yeah.
2: criminalized for medical yeah. care. Right, Christine? And you and I think you and I have talked before about the problem of physician yeah. and healthcare provider burnout. Obviously, all of
3: healthcare mm-hmm.
2: is in a bit of a crisis because of COVID and burnout and many other forces and literally criminalizing doctors for, you know, taking care of their patients is just something that's really hard to imagine, but it's actually happening now and we already have doctor shortage in so many parts of the country and this is going to make it even worse so that that is a tough one but i don't want to be all negative because i do feel like we have like a lot of positive things we can tell people right you know i'm already seeing that from all these people who are reaching out across the country you know we've we've gathered a bunch of doctors together called doctors for fertility and i'm hoping everybody you know, will join us in speaking out for access to reproductive care. And it's been really heartening because we already are seeing change. So Dr. Gustin, Stephanie Gustin, she's one of our founding board members.
3: Mm-hmm. She
2: is in Nebraska and she organized with doctors there, uh, set up a Facebook page called Save IVF Nebraska. And they called out to all their patients and said, if you're doing IVF or you're struggling with fertility or you have an IVF baby, this is going to threaten IVF in Nebraska. Please reach out and tell your story and please talk to your legislators. And that's what they did. People from all over, photos, stories, everything. And, and the doctors and the patients went in person to talk to all the legislators and they actually had some good conversations. They actually, even with people who were actually very staunchly against abortion, they really had some good conversations about, oh, I didn't know that's what IVF was about. I didn't know how this would impact your ability to help build families. I didn't realize that so many of my constituents really want access to this care. I, I didn't realize those things. So Mm -hmm. it was tough. It was a little bit sticky because some of the politicians were worried that they would then change the legislation and just say, okay, everything's illegal except just IVF, which would of course still be a huge problem for pregnant people, right? And then it would be more likely to pass this law. So that was a tricky situation. But what they did was they 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 were able to postpone the special session. They were gonna have a special session, a special vote to pass this super strict law and it looked like it was gonna pass. And they were successful speaking up to get that put on pause. I think they still have to be vigilant. There's still a lot of concern, but that was not a large group of doctors or patients. It does show that patients and providers it does make a difference. It does yeah. make a difference to speak up and to talk to your legislators. And there is data saying that most people in the United States actually don't really want their health care yeah. restricted in this way. You know, most people, they might not be for, you know, actual termination of viable pregnancies, but they they do not want to be restricted. And you can look at mm-hmm. the Kansas story, right? Kansas had that constitutional yeah protection of abortion. And then after the overturn of Roe v. Wade, there was a movement to get rid of that protection in the Kansas Constitution. And they they kept saying it was about mothers and babies, and it really wasn't. It was really going to restrict care for mothers and babies. The people who wanted to protect that right you know, got out there and spoke to their neighbors and they, and they did media and they did interviews and they really spoke about it in all these aspects that, you know, this is about choice. It's, it's about medical care. It's about privacy, keeping the government out of your medical decisions, it's about letting doctors do what they need to do. They talked about some difficult situations like a mom who doesn't believe in abortion but and has two kids, but had to terminate a pregnancy to to save her life. They talked about, you know, they had some pastors talking about how this is not a black and white situation and protecting Mm -hmm. this healthcare autonomy can still be okay. And you can still Mm -hmm. be religious and still be, you know, a good person. They talked about how the other side kind of, tried to fool the voters into thinking they were protecting reproductive rights when they were really taking away reproductive rights and they got out the vote. So very interesting. there huge yeah. rise in voter registration right in mm. Kansas ahead of this referendum and 70% of the new voters mm. were female voters. And, you know, we have this wonderful group at Doctors for Fertility, and I I told the male fertility doctors, I was like, the other 30% were male gynecologists, because you guys are so yeah. fierce and fighting for, you know, women's rights. So um huge rise in voter registration. And that referendum in, yeah. you know, a very conservative state, you know, a Republican state, yeah. is not that Republicans are always exactly aligned, but... That's what they did in Kansas also. They made it nonpartisan. They just made it about that particular issue Mm -hmm. as opposed to about a party. If you get the vote out and you get out people who are normally not political, you can make a difference. They defeated that referendum by a Mm -hmm. huge margin in a very conservative state. So I really want people to know, like, yes, it's really concerning. And I'm really worried that, you know, this is already affecting doctors and medical care and things like that. But I'm also very hopeful because I am seeing people speaking up and pulling together and I am, you know, kind of getting... Messages of support hmm. from all over the country for doctors for fertility and we're getting funding, yeah. although, of course, we could use more. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm optimistic that we can make a difference because this is, you know, this is the United States. People want yeah. to have healthcare autonomy. Yeah. They want yeah. to have the best health care. They want to be able to make these decisions. And I think most people understand this is not really about yeah. like abortion. This is right. really yeah. about yeah. just yeah. medical yeah. care for pregnancy. I
3: agree.
0: All throughout high school and bouts of college, I suffered from severe acne. I cried almost every day looking at the mirror. I wore hoodies during the summer to hide my cheeks. When my mom asked me what I wanted for my birthday, all I wished for was a visit to the dermatologist. I tried so many products and saw so many estheticians, physicians, and other advanced providers. But I know that my mere access to these products and providers is a privilege. Many who suffer from acne and other skin conditions live in many underserved populations where access to dermatology specialists can be difficult due to limited resources. To help bridge this divide, Ben Epidia, a dermatology nurse practitioner, recently launched Your Skin Care Experts Derm course, which can allow other specialties to provide comprehensive care to patients through dermatology in places where access may be limited. The course can also be used to help better train extended providers within the field of dermatology to feel confident and empowered in their knowledge. From fortifying skin anatomy to identifying skin types and concerns, breaking down acne, building skincare routines, and going over active ingredients, the course seeks to further knowledge on skin care, anti-aging, acne, and overall holistic skin health. Friends of France is partnering with Your Skincare Expert so that you can get 10% of the course with the code France. that's F-R-A-N-Z, or visit YourSkinCareExpert.com slash My skin and my life were changed by the right products and the right people. Through this course, I hope that this would also be made possible for others. Anyone who knows me knows that I love boba. After a heavy dinner, no problem. I have a second stomach for boba, and sometimes even a third. But each cup of bubble tea is definitely a guilty pleasure, given that the average cafe-made milk tea has over 100 calories per serving, over 20 grams of high-glycemic sugar, and is packed with artificial flavors. I am so glad that the guilty days are over with Twirl, the world's first canned, plant-based milk tea, with only 45 to 50 calories per serving, and containing 6 to 7 grams of sugar, and low-glycemic sweeteners at that, goodbye to sugar crash, Twirl is made with pea milk, the most sustainable plant-based milk on the market, regenerating the soil where it comes from. This is thanks to the fact that fair trade and organic are the names of the game, as the teas are sourced from biodiverse family farms in China, Japan, and Taiwan that practice sustainable farming techniques. No artificial flavors are ever used. Choose from three antioxidant flavors of the chocolatey Taiwan-style black milk tea, floral jasmine, and nutty hojicha. Enjoy all of these flavors, each being nitro infused that you can feel and hear their fresh, silky, and creamy texture with each pop of the can. Let's enjoy tasty, creamy, shelf-stable, and healthy milk tea together for ten percent off using the code Franz Ten. That's F R A N Z One Zero. Now available on TwirlMilkTea.com or Amazon. Twirl around in its goodness.
1: I think that's why it's so important we hear information and you know all of these updates from. From those who see the patients, right? From those who see both sides who yeah. are the physicians or their advanced provider and who are mm-hmm. interacting with patients, who are hearing these patient stories, knowing what the patients want, knowing what the patients need, and not from conversations that's so focused on bipartisan and religious issues and again are made by federal right. or even state head leaders who. I actually, have no business talking about medical care, right? And, and reproductive. I medicine. know, and,
2: but we yeah. are—we are the people who put yeah. these people in office, and we make them the leaders. So you know, this is where we are seeing very strong evidence that just every single person, if they you know call or email or text or whatever, very easy to Google your representative and just reach out and say. I'm your constituent and I really feel like this is important. I feel like access to reproductive health care is important to me. And it. we are seeing this makes a difference. We are seeing a huge difference. So this whole Doctors for Fertility, if you go on our website, there's a section for sharing your story because we know that is hugely powerful for legislators and leaders To hear that their people, the people that put them into office, they're speaking up and they're saying something. So I, I feel like people need to know that they do have this power and that they're, you know, that their voice is really powerful. I think healthcare providers need to know that because, you know, in all this healthcare provider burnout, we're so busy. We work so hard taking the time to speak up about this. Uh, really makes a difference and you don't have to no. you don't have to be a social media star like you <laughs> christian uh, you're making a big difference but you know uh, even, even just yeah. one-on-one conversation, yeah. like with your yeah. neighbor or right like i'm finding that every single conversation i and i you know i mentioned it to my patients uh, they uh, a lot of patients are very very worried about it and i think it's good to talk about it and to educate people and to educate your friends and your neighbors and your family and everybody, because the more we talk about it, the more people understand, I think the better the situation Yeah, definitely. Conversations are so
1: important because I I know your field of OBGYN has a fount of misinformation and myths all around (laughs) social media, even the internet. I mean, I know for sure, probably even way before Instagram came out, you know, all of those group chats or even yeah. I mean, even I think personal conversations and person conversations, there's a lot of myths and misinformation about it. And especially now, even about reproductive medicine specifically, right? IVF, I mean, I read an article yeah. earlier. Kristen Hawkins, who's a president of Students for Life of America and Students for Life Action, He's going to read some things that producing children via IVF, he says, it's practicing eugenics, you know, <laughs> and equating, yeah, and equating it to um, procedures like abortion and slavery and Russell Moore of the Southern Baptist Convention so that the only ethical way to undergo IVF is to implant it every single embryo, no matter the viability. See, and these detrimental statements and conversations, the general public who may not also have the education and training in your field, right? It's a lot of capitalization and people's fears and people's innocence about certain subject matters and topics. That's why we need to look to people like you and Doctors of Fertility, where we get these information from, right? Especially in this social media world of Misinformation and fear mongering yeah. and all of these things, right, dog
2: Yes, yes. But that brings up something I think you yeah. and I both believe in very strongly is that yeah. real healthcare providers yeah. belong yeah. on social media, right? And that's yeah. not really yeah. how we're <laughs> trained in healthcare, right? Um, and, you know, I know like some of my colleagues are like, what are you doing on Instagram all the time, right? But you and I know this yep. Dr. Google didn't go to medical school, right? But Dr. Yeah. Google is yep. the first yep. 10 yep. opinions that everybody gets, right? That is where people go. Yep. They don't actually see a real doctor first. They go to Dr. Google, you know? And and so if you and I who have real medical knowledge, experience, and training are not on here then we're yeah. kind of leaving our yeah, patients definitely. and the public kind of in the dust yeah dust and that's why it's so
1: great to have people like you i know uh, the other physicians and doctors for fertility dr natalie Crawford, oh gosh, right yeah. dr laura shine i know oh, a yes, few ruhi, others ruhi, as well yes.
3: ruhi
2: jalani yes dr lucky second there they really believe in you know education and awareness yeah. you know all the time even without this issue because you're right. You know, if we're not on here, what kind of information then yeah. are people yeah. hearing? They're hearing this other stuff from non medical people, and yeah, some of it is harmful. Definitely.
1: And, you know, we've talked already about Dob- the Dobbs case, the overturning of pro versus way, the implications that it may have on protective modalities like IVF and personhood loss, and again, the problems that it may pose on. Things like storage of um, the eggs or the starting of the eggs or yeah, even yeah. upon completion of the family or even high order pregnancies, you know, they're very risky pregnancies as well. Yeah. And I guess this also has implications as well in genetic testings or those eggs that we know may have like yeah. genetic diseases or stuff like that throughout all of these talks that like you said, we don't really want to focus on the negativity, but we want to focus on the hope. What is your hope for all of this, Dr. Serena? So, you know, as someone who manages people's dreams and, uh, you know, deep desires to form their families, to form their realities, right? People who've been wanting to become parents for the longest time, or but may have problems or just wanting to store them now because they want to do it at a later time. What is your hope for All of this. So,
2: I guess my hope is that people will find us and educate themselves and advocate for themselves and others because this is one of the biggest barriers to Mm -hmm. medical care, fertility care, infertility care, is this whole lack of knowledge and information. I feel like that is one of the biggest barriers, which is why. I'm so passionate about being on social media. I know you're doing a great job of breaking down those barriers because until people can take that first step and yes. really understand their bodies, themselves mm-hmm. and their options. Yeah. Then nothing
3: yeah, can
2: really happen. Right. And, you know, I am really hopeful for this fight in terms mm-hmm. of reproductive care access to despite the overturning of it, Roe v. Wade, because I am already seeing that people getting educated and learning about this issue and then educating others, I'm already seeing that it yeah. is making a big difference. And I see that at an individual level. You know, the healthcare system is tough. It's complicated. It's hard to access where patients are joining together and and supporting each other and learning about their bodies and their options and all the mm-hmm. challenges that yeah. you can face like yeah. PCOS yeah. and endometriosis and things like that. And yeah. trying to educate themselves and optimize their health and wellness so they can yeah. pursue this treatment. Fertility treatment is It's definitely like a little bit like a marathon because you have to keep going. But I do tell my patients the nice thing is the fertility treatment can be super successful, even though it's hard. If people can stay (laughs) healthy in mind and body and stay positive, I think they will ultimately be successful. And I feel like that's going to be true also with reproductive rights in America is that we have to be positive. We can't panic. But we also can't put our head yeah. in the sand. We have to, yeah. we have to yeah. step up to the yeah. plate and get involved, right? And talk and advocate and yeah. call our legislators yeah. and yeah. vote. I love what you said, Doug. Right? Like,
1: I, I think you're right. like At the end of the day, it's really about providing patients and people options, right? I, I think aside from the difficulty yeah. of making a decision, I think the hardest part is making decisions when you're not informed, right? When you don't know your options. Um, aside yeah. from not having options, it's the not Huge. knowing your options, not being able to make an informed decision because there's not information to draw from, right? And this is why it's so important to have conversations like these, whether in person or especially here on social media, right? Like, it doesn't matter if 50,000 people are listening or 10,000, even one person, right? As long as the message spread across that we have people like you who are willing to listen to people and are there to guide them through, you know, what they want in life. And uh, especially, um, specifically in this field of reproductive care is to guide them in the family that they see for themselves, right? I mean, I can't get pregnant, but, you know... (laughs)
2: I don't know, Christian. We're going we're gonna to
1: figure that out, how to get guys to carry babies. As of currently, I can't get pregnant. <laughs> but, you know, I have so, I have so many friends and I know so many people who have gone to physicians, right? And who talk to experts like yourself who want to build families, who have gone through IVFs, <laughs> some successful, some not successful. But at the end of it all, like, at uh, the foundation of it is that they had the chance and the choice to do that and the access and the right to do so. And yeah. I, I, it's just so scary to yeah. imagine the world or imagine a country where we can't have those options for people who want them. Right. And that's why thank you so much for exactly. your work in doing this and also for fertility. For- for- yeah. I don't
2: think yeah. we are yeah. not going to let that happen. Yeah. You know, we are because I, I know you're in this with me and, and, you know, I'm so glad for all these people watching because you know I know yeah. you're going to join us and you know and and speak up and hopefully join doctors for fertility. Okay. Also, keep doctors listening to Christian.
1: Yeah. Follow me yes, because we're going to keep
2: talking about this. Right? Yeah, like, it, it's not it's a important. fight that yeah.
1: we're going to give up on because it's life saving. It's absolutely all about yeah. safety and it's all about people just want to be happy. You know, <gasps> people people just want to live happy lives. Yeah. And the, Removing options from people, you know, places a barrier from people pursuing happiness in ways that they want for themselves and for their lives. And
3: absolutely,
1: yeah, Doctor Serena, if you have any absolutely. closing statement or anything else
3: you want to say to everybody, there. First.
2: I just am so grateful for you having me here, and I yeah. know people will check out doctorsforfertility.org org and just you know join in the conversation yeah. and tell us your questions and. Hopefully, we can help you speak up and advocate and lobby and take political yes. action. we're just getting started, so I think it's going to be um it's already been a, an exciting and positive experience so far i want I want people hopefully yeah. to be concerned and to get to listen and to get involved but i but i also i also feel very hopeful so i I think that's yeah, the important and I'm hopeful
1: with you Dr. Serena. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> me tonight. I hope you have a great night. Thank you for sharing. Thank you, of course. Of Thanks course. for having nice me, to see you, dog. me. Have a good night.
0: Bye. We have now reached the end of the story. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Friends of France. I hope you had an enjoyable adventure learning about our expert guest, their work, and why they do the things that they do. Please check out the rest of the series available on all podcast platforms. Please also consider following the podcast on the platform that you prefer, turn on the alerts for new episodes so you don't miss new stories, and give us a rating to support the show. You can find more updates on the podcast's official Instagram at friends of France Pod or my personal Instagram at Chris Franz. That's without the I because there is no I in team. <laughs> I'm kidding. Someone already took the username. Have a great day or night, everybody.